The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So nice to be here with you. So nice to be sitting in meditation with you. Um, with some sense of quiet. Sometimes more quiet, sometimes less quiet. But that's, that's the point. The point of our meditation practice is to calm our minds and to settle down some greater or lesser extent to see our lives, to see our life experience, to see what's here. So, um, so the, the point of this practice is not to attain some refined state of mind, some refined state of mind of concentration, of illumination. Someone asked Suzuki Roshi if he would ever get enlightened. And Suzuki Roshi said, if you sincerely practice, that's just about as good. Just about as good. When Suzuki Roshi said something, it had many layers. And is worth taking in. So our practice is to diminish our suffering, diminish our stress, diminish our pain sometimes, our agony sometimes, our conflicts, to reduce, to relieve us from those kind of forces, stories, feelings, energies that make our lives pretty and can make our lives pretty unpleasant. In a way, we who live in the in western culture we have a strike against us. We have a strike against us that is not experienced in Eastern culture. It's called guilt. Eastern culture doesn't have guilt. You know, all of this, um, 
you know, they, they, have, they have greed and hatred and ignorance and delusion and those kind of things. They, they're human beings. They have all those qualities. But this very unique and particular and onerous type of suffering that we experience in Western civilizations, this guilt, self-judgment, comparative thinking, Self-criticism, criticism of others, judgment of others, all that stuff. I've been thinking about this today. And it occurred to me, the God that many of us Worship the image of this God that we worship is is uh, crucified on a cross. Looks pretty painful. Can't imagine anything much more painful. Crucified on a cross, you know, just in the sun, you know, and all that happens to that body. And why is he doing that? He's doing that because of our sins. He's doing that because of my sins. Wow. I must be pretty bad. Now, I love the image of Jesus and I think Christianity is a beautiful, beautiful religion and and I think Jesus was a great guru. But still, there's this concept, this image of original sin. Eve ate the apple. And she was, you know, doomed to ever you know, atone and, and uh, make things okay. Make things okay so that maybe, you know, so she could get to heaven after she dies or and the Jewish God is not a piece of cake either pretty judgmental big beautiful astounding religions and but even if you're not religious you, know, you say well I'm not religious that doesn't you know count for me it's still that's our culture it's embedded in our culture that's we are a Judeo-Christian culture and the image of uh, the God in Eastern, in Buddhist countries. I've been to Buddhist countries. You walk into a uh, pagoda in Burma and there are four entrances. And in each entrance, there, you know, this could be in a village, like, you know, 450 people, but these gigantic pagodas. And you walk in, and there's this beautiful, gigantic, smiling, beatific, serene, huge Buddha. And that's just one entrance. They have four entrances in all these pagodas. Very religious people.
someone tried to explain, not someone, a group of, of uh, Western teachers tried to explain to the Dalai Lama about this, this unique thing that we have of guilt. And he just did not understand. You know, there were, there were these translators and these different teachers and all trying to explain to him about this self-judgment, this doubt, this guilt. this negative self-image. And finally he got it. And he said, oh, that's too bad. And he started to cry, tear. I... uh, talk to people sometimes about what they're going through, about their practice. And uh, there's one young man, he, uh, he tries to help his wife and he tries to help his mom and he tries to be, he wants to be really honest at business and, but the people there don't want him to be honest and he's got, and he always feels like he's failing. And he's really suffering. And I tell him, and I tell you, look, lay off it. You're pretty good. You're pretty good. I mean, gosh, you're kind. You know, you really want to be kind. That's your intention. You want to exist in truth. You meditate. You actually spend your time meditating, trying to experience what is really true. Who does that? You know, that's pretty good. You want to be honest. You want to be moral. So, okay, check, check, check. You're pretty good. So just, how would it be just to lay off all that stuff? I'm not saying, you know, you're not without greed, hatred, and delusion. But all of these causes for self-judgment, self-criticism, self... You could relax that stuff. And um, our material uniquely materialistic society. You know, when you go to India or Burma, these Eastern countries, they're religious countries. They're spiritual countries. You can feel it when you go there. This, it's, this is amazing. And you come back here and there's, you know, many, many at the airports, there's, you know, ads, billboards, you know, beautiful people, beautiful with gleaming white teeth, healthy vibrant, wealthy, you know, with their Rolex watches or the fancy cars they're driving or the beautiful clothes they're wearing. How can we be enough? How can we be like that? 
So we do our best, you know, we exercise and we might have cosmetic surgery to, you know, keep ourselves as young looking as possible for as long as possible. So, um, so I was on a retreat recently and um, the teacher, Gil, at the end of the retreat, he gave us a gift. At least I felt it as a really uh, wonderful gift. He gave, us the, he gave us a gift of a of a beautiful, positive identity. Now, you know, you can say, identity, we're supposed to get rid of identities. Identities, that's the problem. These stories, this identity, that identity, they go on and on. There's no self here. There's no identity. But as an antidote to these negative identities that we have. We could have a positive identity that's rooted in our practice. And this could be, this could be helpful. So he had this vision of us you know, early, like, you know, 500 BC in Egypt on the desert, these, these early Christian monastics, mothers and fathers with cloaks and hoods, you know, monastics, contemplatives in the deserts. And he had this image of us coming up, you know, with our cloaks and revered fathers and mothers. Content with it. So, you know, I thought, you know, this was suggested and I, I thought, yeah, I'm a, con- I'm a contemplative. This is my life. This is what I do. If there is an identity, boy, that fits. I we meditate. We um, very assiduously follow the precepts. We practice kindness and goodwill and friendliness. People can trust us. I'm honest, I will not lie. That's a precept. We're encouraged to be honest. A contemplative is honest and a contemplative is generous. A contemplative's life is a gift, is a gift to others with no price attached. 
A contemplative has faith. Not faith in some concept, some idea that we have to keep bringing back and bringing back. But no, we have faith in right now, in what is here, in this experience of the present moment. We have faith that if we are here right now and we're not preoccupied with our mental conditions, with our many stories, our many other selves that float through our minds. Uh, you know, he said this to me, and what should I say back, and what's going to happen in the future, and will I be, am I going on this vacation, and won't that be great, and all these, so if we can, all these stories. We have faith that if we can, the more we drop these stories, the more we can drop into the present moment. The more, we, the, the more we can disengage from our reactivity. That something very peaceful is here. Something, I don't know what word to use, wonderful is here, serene is here, easeful is here, unconflicted is here, not stressful is here. One teacher, uh, Stephen Batchelor, says that when we're not being reactive, we're in nirvana. So that would mean if you're not being reactive right now, this is as good as it gets nothing to be sniffed at. This is nirvana or close to it. And and this faith that we have, it, it uh, informs us that the deeper and deeper we can let go into the present moment, the less and less distracted and afflicted our minds are. There's potential in this mind for illumination, perhaps enlightenment or something like that. There's po- I think we'd all agree there's some potential in this mind We might disagree about what that looks like, but we have some faith in the purified mind, in the unafflicted mind. We have some faith in the enlightenment of the Buddha, that he did this, he really did this well.
So this is, um, maybe this is something that has to do with your identity. Walking around in the world, seeing people, going to work, going to the gym, talking to all kinds of people, many different kinds of people. They don't know. You're just, you know, another person. But you know. You know, you're a Buddhist lay person. You're a householder. You're not a monastic. But something like that. What a wonderful thing to be. And we don't have to prove anything to anybody because it's a great life. It's just a great life, a life of service, a life of truth. A life of good intentions, a life of kindness, a life of goodwill, a life of a beautiful faith. And we study, and we refine our morality through our study. So, um, there's a, uh, the, the Buddha described the qualities of a householder. He called them the samapada, the samapada of a householder. And samapada can be translated in various ways. It could be the accomplishment of a householder. If you don't like that word accomplishment, that's a bit, you know, maybe it doesn't sound so great. Uh, another another uh, interpretation is the blessings the blessings of a householder or the happiness of a householder. So, um, let's see. Just find these here. Okay. So, um, blessing in initiative, in protection, in good friendship, in faith, in virtuous behavior, balanced living, in generosity, and in wisdom. And I've touched upon some of these already in 
some detail. So what is the uh, blessing of generosity? Here a person dwells at home, devoid of the stain of miserliness, freely generous, open-handed, delighting in relinquishment, one devoted to charity, delighting in giving and sharing. So generosity, giving money, giving our attention, I'm a chaplain at a hospital one day a week. One aspect of my contemplative life is service. And um, I freely give my my kind attention. I walk into a room. You know, I don't know these people. I I walk into the room and I freely give my kind attention. See what happens. Often very, very nice things happen. Flowers bloom. not asking for anything. Said that generosity is the gift that keeps on giving because like I thought about going into that room with the intention to be kind. That's a gift right there, that feeling. And then I'm in the room and often having just the most lovely conversations, lovely interactions, lovely meetings. That's the second gift. And the third gift is I'm reflecting on it. Wasn't that nice? So, you know, this is an identity. And it's not conceded to bring these identities back and integrate them into our consciousness, into our bodies. I was kind and it felt this way. I'm a kind person. Bring that into your meditation. Let it, let it uh, lubricate your heart. Remembrances of your generosity, remembrances of your kindness. This is, this is uh, our practice. This is our identity. This is who we are. Reminding ourselves, supporting ourselves, encouraging ourselves with these different blessings that are our identity as Buddhist lay people. Generosity, kindness. um, Kindness of attention. And, and, you know, maybe this could fall a little bit under the heading of Sila, and uh, virtue, but uh, you know, th- imagine 
you may not, not want to imagine, but a big party, <laughs> a crowd of people. And you're going to go to that party. So I'm going to go to that party. And, and if I walk into that party with the same intention that I walk into uh, a hospital room or I walk into any conversation with that intention, not for me, myself, and mine at all. No. Just to give, to give my attention, to give my kindness. So the, I walk in that room and the first person I encounter, I, here you are, here I am, full attention, full kind attention. And that conversation has its own beginning, middle and end and moving on to another one and another one and another one until it's time to leave. And how stress-free is that? How little suffering is in that. Compared to looking around, where's the best conversation here? And other people we're talking to aren't really talking to us, but they're looking around for a better conversation. One that'll give more valuable flattery, one that is more worthy of status, or we'll get a praise from someone who's really, who really counts, whose praise is really meaningful, or someone who's beautiful, and her validation or his validation really means something more than someone who isn't so necessarily physically gorgeous, like in the billboards. How stressful is that? And how do you feel depleted when you leave that party? So, but we don't, because that's not, it's not our identity. And if we make mistakes and we fumble around and we fall into old patterns. Start over. Just forgive ourselves and start over. I also talked about sila, virtue. The blessing of virtuous behavior. Here a person abstains from the destruction of life. And it's not just the physical destruction of life, but the mental destruction of life. You know, the hurting others with our speech and our actions, hurting ourselves with our thoughts and our actions. Here a person abstains from the destruction of life from taking what is not given. Not butting in. 
in a conversation, not over, not over talk, talking over people, not grabbing attention for ourselves, just, just peacefully, not taking what is not given, not taking attention that's not given. How peaceful is that? Just giving all that up. I'll take what I'm given. And that's enough. This is my Buddhist way of life. My peaceful, easy way of life. Let's see. Um, Abstaining from sexual misconduct. from harming anyone with our sexual behavior. Being very careful not to harm anyone with our sexual behavior. Not harming our partner. Not betraying our partner with our sexual behavior. It's another form of kindness and and, you know, and 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 the thing is when we do that kind of stuff when we hurt other people through our sexual behavior or through our speech or through our actions or you know when we say nasty things or we you know gossip about people or you know I mean we get we feel kind of dirty and You know, we take it back to our meditation and it, 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 all, it all comes out in our meditation. The suffering comes out in meditation. It haunts us. That's the thing about moral behavior. It's not to be good. So it's not that we're good or that we're bad. The Buddha never used the word bad about someone who was not being virtuous or he called them fools. They didn't they didn't know what was good for them. They did stuff that would just get them into trouble, get them into trouble with themselves, get them into trouble with other people. And you know those of us who really watch our virtue don't even take a pen from work. Not because anybody would mind, just because I don't do that. I don't take pens from work. They, don't, they weren't offered to me. They're for work. I don't lie. I don't lie even, you know, if I think it might be better for someone or something like that. We can rationalize, but no, just just don't lie. Stainless. And we take this generosity and we take this virtuous behavior, we take it into our meditation and we take it into our lives and 
Maybe you can feel this, uh, but there's a happiness in this. There's actually a phrase that describes it. It's called the bliss of blamelessness. I'm blameless. What a nice feeling that is. I am blameless. I'm not... That's what I was telling that, that young man I was talking about. You're, blame, you're pretty blameless here. So stop blaming yourself. Your behavior is pretty good. Your thoughts, your intentions are pretty good. So we can enjoy. We can allow ourselves to reflect on I'm kind, I'm virtuous, I'm blameless. And the skillfulness in this is it warms our heart and settles our heart and calms our mind. and allows us to meditate with a clearer mind and a more open heart. Our meditation is, you know, it's like all the dirty laundry comes out and then gets washed in our meditation. And then we learn, oh, I didn't do that so well. I won't do that again. Well, I really didn't do that well. Maybe I should apologize. Maybe I should apologize. But, but I'd recommend, you know, if something like that comes up in meditation and you look at it, sometimes, you know, you feel all guilty and bad and you did something wrong and you, you know, you really look at it and you think, wow, no, that was pretty, I, I didn't do anything wrong. That happens a lot, maybe more of the time than not. No, my intention was good there. I really was trying to do the right thing. And then let it go. Or it's understandable, I kind of misstepped, I won't do that again. And then let it go. Or it would be helpful for him and for me if I would apologize. So... Maybe make a note just to get rid of it because we don't want to be having guilt-filled meditations. It's a waste of time. It's, if anything is immoral, that's immoral. Steeping ourselves in guilt. So we, you know, if we need to really get, do something about this, write it down, get rid of it. Thank you very much. Not now. So, um, good friendship, the blessings of our Buddhist identities is we have really good friends. And I don't mean friends that... uh, will tell us we're right no matter what we do or 
you know, listen to our troubles. That's fine. That's great. That's nice. But I mean, friends that really support us in our virtue, support us in our generosity, support us in our faith. For example, your teacher is a really good friend. You know who's a really good friend. It might not be what you call my good friends, you know, my conventional good friends. I'm talking about a different kind of good friend. The good friends that are in the Sangha. You can be assured that when you come into this place here, that you will be treated with kindness that you will be be treated with appreciation, that people will see the good in you and support the good in you. Maybe not your best friends, but these are your good friends. And that's what the Buddha is talking about. This is a blessing of the Buddhist life, that we have the Sangha, we have teachers, we have mentors, we have good friends. Here in whatever village and town one lives, The person associates with householders and their children, whether old or young, but of mature virtue, accomplished in faith, virtuous behavior, generosity, and wisdom. One has the blessing of conversing with them, engaging in discussion with them, insofar as they are accomplished in faith, one emulates them in respect to their accomplishment in faith. Virtuous behavior, generosity, and wisdom. So, um, there are a couple of pieces here that I just want to mention because they're just so interesting. Um, so practical. The blessing of balanced living. Basically, what he's telling you here is don't spend more than what you have. (laughs) Among all of these really, you know, lofty uh, ideals and sentiments, this is really down to earth. Don't let your income your expenditures exceed your income. Don't run up credit card debt. Practical advice. So we don't worry about money. If you don't let your expenditures exceed your income, you don't worry about money. And if you think you're not, you don't have enough money, Well, spend less. may sound easy for some of you. you I know we all have complicated financial situations and I don't mean to brush those off, but there's wisdom in this. If you're worried about money, balance it. Simply balance it. 
Here one knows one's income and expenditures and leads a balanced life. Not too extravagant or too frugal. In this way, my income will exceed my expenditures. Part of the good Buddhist life. (laughs) I think that's cute and wonderful. Another one that's equally cute and wonderful is then protect your money. (laughs) Protect your wealth. Protect your wealth. Guard over wealth acquired by your initiative and your energy, amassed by the strength of your arms, earned by the sweat of your brow. Just good livelihood, righteous wealth, righteously gained. How can I prevent kings and thieves from taking it? Floods, fires, fires from burning it, floods from sweeping it off. And this is a cute one too. And displeasing heirs from taking it. How many families have been torn asunder by the consequences of inheritance? So if you have any power over creating harmony with inheritance by in your will or in your participation, So these are the blessings of, of our lives, of, of a lay person, a Buddhist lay person, of a contemplative. Devoted to faith. Devoted to... Um, Devoted to illumination, devoted to enlightenment. That's another, that's another one of these, the blessing of faith. And as we walk this path, and as we go to our car, you know, and go home, Get ready for bed, do what you you know, just what can you do to encourage your your Buddhist identity? I have an altar, you know, I, I bow, I bow to I have Buddhas on my altar, I bow. Some people chant. Some people get up I get up early in the morning and meditate. Some people are mindful as they walk. So their mind isn't disturbed when they walk and they take the undisturbed mind back to their meditation. And their med- So when we, when we meditate and we get up, if we do it in the morning, then we can go and brush our teeth with intimacy with the present moment. And we can go to the bathroom and we can, with mindfulness, and just let mindfulness permeate walking down the stairs and preparing breakfast and on and on through the day. Mindfulness, mindfulness, mindfulness all day long. This is our path to cultivate, to develop and cultivate. But the message that I'm hoping to give you is 
taking some protection for yourself, some comfort for yourself in this supportive identity, to not be afraid of this identity. Nothing to be conceited about or, any, or, or to feel weird about. Just to be skillful. To encourage your life. To feel good about your life. To feel good about what you're doing. So that you don't feel guilty or self-critical or self-judgmental knowing you're you have faith and you're moral and you're generous and you meditate and you have good friends that make you you know that you feel the kindness and you give the kindness to and um you see what's here. You get closer and closer. As the mind is clearer and the heart is clearer, we get closer and closer to seeing what's here, to seeing, to seeing what's really here, what the, just sensations, the changing nature of sensations in meditation, the changing nature of the breath, always changing the prickly energies that are always changing, the sounds, the sights. Awareness of change. The mind is clearer, you know, clearer, easier. You can be aware of change and in the awareness of change we are more able to, like when we see thoughts arise, you know, we're more able, able, able to uh, not cling to not grab hold of those thoughts. But to open our hands, to open our hearts, and to open our minds to what is here. And in this way, we diminish our suffering. In all of these ways, we diminish, we relieve our suffering. And that's the point. Thank you.